Hello and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us now. Here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to be with you today. If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. As we continue our study, we are making our way through the book of Romans and uh, started a couple of weeks ago and already have found ourselves at a passage of Scripture that, that will challenge us and encourage us at the same time. And what we're going to discover as we go through the book of Romans, I've never preached through Romans uh, verse by verse. And the, the, the wonderful thing about that is that we will look at some passages of Scripture that we might not have looked at otherwise, but we have to because it's the next verse. And, uh, and they offer such a challenge and encouragement to each one of us. Last time we were together, we, we discovered that Paul, throughout this entire book, is all about preaching the gospel. Now, many of us have come to recognize the gospel is what saved us. It was the gospel, the story of the, the love of God, the grace of God, the, 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 the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the second return of Christ, the gospel. But we have a tendency sometimes to think that the gospel is for those who have never accepted Christ. I remember when I accepted the gospel and I share the gospel, but the gospel's for people that, that don't know Jesus. And what we discovered last time we were together is that Paul said, no, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. The gospel is the power of God in our lives. Not just for those who have never accepted Christ, but for those of us who are walking with God. And that's why Paul said, I can't wait to come to Rome to the church in Rome to preach to you the gospel. So he was talking about bringing the gospel to people that have already accepted it. And so he, in this passage of scripture, focuses on two key components of the gospel. The first component that he focuses on is the righteousness of God. He said the righteousness of God has been revealed and that, that that is a component of the gospel now the righteousness of God when we use that term righteous there are three ways that we can understand it the righteousness the word righteousness describes a part of the character or nature of God he is a holy righteous God he is always right in all that he does but there is also another aspect of righteousness and that is that which God requires of you you see God requires you to be righteous in order to have a relationship with him but guess what the righteousness that God requires of you is impossible for us to give because God requires that we are perfect without sin he is a holy righteous God the only way we can come into his presence is to be holy and righteous and you've already blown it you've already messed up all of us have and so there's no hope. The righteousness that God requires of us is impossible. But the good news of the gospel is there's a third component of righteousness. The Bible uses the term righteousness to describe the righteousness that God gives you because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, and through him, God declares us righteous. 
So we receive from God a righteousness. It's not about what I achieve, what I do. It's about what I receive. I receive the righteousness of Jesus as I receive him as my Savior and Lord. And that's a component of righteousness. Paul says that the righteousness of God is revealed. But then he talks about the second component of salvation. Now, we, we kind of like the first component. But the second pump component of, of salvation we don't talk about very much. But unless you understand it, you'll never fully understand salvation. The second component is the wrath of God. Paul said not only is the righteousness of God revealed, but he says also the wrath of God is revealed. Wrath. Anger as it's translated in some Bibles. Boy, that's not a popular subject. We want to talk about the grace and the love and the goodness of God, not the wrath of God and the anger of God, but you'll never truly understand salvation until you understand the righteousness revealed that we are incapable of providing, that God provides for us in Jesus and the wrath of God on our sin. And so that's what Paul talks about in this passage of Scripture. So let's look together at verse 18 as we begin chapter 1. We'll go down through verse 23. For the wrath of God is revealed. See in verse 17, it is the righteousness of God is revealed. Then he comes in verse 18 and says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has, or what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now, just those few verses, Paul introduces that second component of salvation, the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, he says. Now, what I want to do in our time together today is answer three questions. First of all, I think we have to know what is the wrath of God? What, what is that? So we're going to answer the question, what is the wrath of God? Secondly, he says the wrath of God is revealed. How is God's wrath revealed? That would be the next question that I think we would answer. And then the third question is why do we deserve the wrath of God? 
And I think if we answer those three questions walking through this text, we might gain an understanding of what Paul is saying. So let's look together for the, at first to the first question that we can answer together. What is God's wrath? What is it, this wrath of God, that Paul describes in this passage of Scripture. Now, I will tell you, this is the easiest of the three questions to answer. It's an easy question to answer because the Bible gives us some clarity with regard to this issue. There are two words that are used in the Bible that can be translated from the Greek as wrath, or your Bible might say anger. The first one is, is a Greek word, thumos, from which we get the word thermos, from which we get the English word uh, thermometer, thermostat. Thumos is a hot anger. It is passion. It is almost like this rage that kind of builds up and bursts forth from us. So there is that hot rage, anger that, that emerges immediately against something or someone. There's a second word, though, that is used in the Bible. By the way, uh, that particular word is used 18 times in the Bible, thumos, that, that hot anger of God. Eight, uh, eight times it's used in the book of Revelation to describe God's anger against sin. It is this rage that God comes against sin. There's another word, or gay, that, that literally carries the attitude of a settled anger. It, it's not emotional. It's not uncontrolled. It is a determined attitude or disposition that opposes something. So what, what, what it describes, and it is this word, by the way, that is used here, that is translated wrath or anger, it really describes a disposition on the part of God his stance or position against sin. In other words, it is an anger, it is a subtle disposition, it is an abiding universal opposition that God has toward evil. And that really is what he means by wrath. The wrath of God is revealed. Well, how is it revealed? Now, when we answer the second question, I told you the first one's easy. When we answer the second question, it gets a little bit more complicated. How is it revealed? Well, um, most of the time when we think about the wrath of God, we think toward the future, don't we? That the wrath of God is something that's going to be exercised in the end time against all people and the wrath of God is going to be poured out and, and judgment upon us. But that's not what Paul says in the text before us. In this passage of Scripture, he uses the present tense. In fact, he uses the verb is revealed and it carries the idea of continued, uh, continued action. What Paul says is that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. So the wrath of God is something that you and I can observe or experience right now. It is in operation around us. Now when we think about the wrath of God, we've got numerous examples of God's wrath 
in the Bible. The first example is in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned against God. God placed Adam in the garden, told him of all the trees of the garden you may eat, but the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of that because God says, in the day that you eat of it, this is what he said, you will surely die. Well, we know that Adam and Eve did sin, partook of the tree, and the wrath of God was exercised against them because he did exactly what he said he would do. When Adam and Eve sinned against God and took a bite of that fruit, they died spiritually. They were separated from God. As a result of that bite, they would also die physically. Had Adam and Eve never taken that bite, they would have lived. God designed them to live forever. Do you realize we were created to live forever? And, and sin comes along and the wrath of God, punishment for sin, we talked about it last week, the wages of sin is death. The reason you're going to die is because you are a sinner. You and I stand under the wrath of God that has been exercised. And just as Adam and Eve were under the wrath of God and as a result of, uh, of their disobedience to God died spiritually, that death sentence has been passed upon every person who has lived since. And so we see the wrath of God at the very beginning. Not only do we see the wrath of God there, we see the wrath of God in the flood, right? When man became so sinful that God literally destroyed the entire world with a flood and only eight people survived. And he started over again. We see the wrath of God continue in the Old Testament with the Tower of Babel. When, when, when man became haughty and thought that they would put themselves above God, we can build a tower. We're smart as God. We'll go to the heavens. And God demonstrated his wrath as he comes down and confounds the language of mankind, confuses everyone, and starts over again. Now, a lot of times we would look at that and say, but that's Old Testament. Yes, God is a God of wrath in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, he's a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of love. Let me give you examples of God's wrath in the New Testament. Why don't we start with the biggest example of God's wrath in the New Testament, which would be the death of Jesus on the cross. The horrible death of Christ on the cross is God's wrath exercised on sin. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible said there came a moment when the sun turned dark for three hours. And Jesus cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, listen, Jesus experienced something at that moment that was worse than the nails driven through his hands, that was worse than the crown of thorns on him, was worse than the, the beating that he took that almost took his life. What he experienced on the cross in that three-hour period of time was the wrath of God on your sin. And he said, God, I am dead. I have taken the sins of the world on myself and I am completely separated from you. That was God's judgment on your sin, on Jesus at the cross. That's the biggest example of the wrath of God. But we've got other examples in the New Testament as well. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? You remember they lied to the Holy Spirit and what happened to them? The Bible says they, they God's judgment, they died. As a result of lying to the Holy Spirit, Ananias fell dead. His wife later 
conspired with the same lie, and she too died. We see examples of the wrath of God in Scripture. Now, all of the examples that I have given you so far are carried out by the hand of God. These are things that God has done. But there's another more subtle aspect of God's wrath that we don't talk about as much, but the subtle aspect of God's wrath is is experienced when we suffer the consequences of disobeying his laws. You see, when God created the world, he put into place natural laws and moral laws. And God put these laws in place for your good. If we keep these laws, we're blessed. And he put them in place. If we break these laws, it's to our detriment. We pay a price for it. I I like what one person said when he says, you really can't break the laws of God. The laws of God will break you. If you disobey God, you'll be broken by the laws of God. So there is a sense in which God has set into motion his laws. He has proclaimed his law. And if you disobey, then you suffer the consequences. And and that is indeed a form of God's wrath. Um, In fact, it it actually answers one of the number one questions that people ask. And one of the number one reasons why people say that they will not give their life to Christ. And and that would be this. The, The thing I have a problem with with Christianity is this. Why would a good, loving, gracious, kind God allow bad things to happen to good people? And there are a lot of people, you may struggle with that. Maybe the reason you've not accepted Christ is because you kind of struggle with that question. If he is really a gracious, loving, kind God. Now, what's interesting is this kind of answers that question for us. Now, let me tell you, first of all, there's a problem with the question you're asking. Number one, you're assuming that we are good, right? How can a loving, gracious God allow bad things to happen to good people? The Bible says none are good. No, not one. None are righteous. We are all sinners separated from God. When you look at the Bible, the real question we need to ask is how would a loving God allow anyone to escape his wrath? We all deserve it. But it does answer the question, and I could answer it this way. Let's just suppose, uh, okay, I'm saying you, you, you assume that we're good, and I'm saying no, the Bible says we're not. But let's just assume you're right. And we are good. We're morally good, great people. And in fact, just think of the best person you know, maybe a Mother Teresa. You know, I mean, just let's just look at the top. Here's, here's, here's an example of, of a good person. Um, let, let's take that person to the top of the Empire State Building and let's just have her take or him take one step off the building. And what happens? Gravity does its thing, right? The law of gravity takes over, and guess what? It doesn't make any difference how good you are. It doesn't make any difference if you're good or you're bad. There is a law that is put in place, and if you 
disregard that law. If you disobey that law, you suffer the consequences of that. And so there is that subtle sense in which the wrath of God works in the world around us. So God's wrath is revealed actively by his direct intervention, but it is also something that can be passively in operation through his natural and moral laws that whenever I disobey the commands of God, I suffer the consequences. And when a person walks contrary to God, guess what? They, their life will often demonstrate the results of define those laws that God put in place for our good. So that brings us to the third question. Why do we deserve it? Um, I think that would have been the question on the mind of the people in Rome and at the church. And, and Paul seems to recognize that they're, they're going to ask that question. And so he answers it for us. And he says the wrath of God is revealed. The wrath of God in verse 18 is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, now the word ungodly means that it really carries the idea of a person that has no place for God has no room for God. I, I don't need God. It's all right if you have God and have religion, have church, but I just don't need God. That, that is ungodly. And Paul says, guess what? Un, people who disregard God, disregard God's law, have nothing to do with God, guess what? Their actions will end up becoming unrighteous. They're, they're going to follow their ungodly actions into unrighteousness and he says, and their actions are unrighteous. They will live not according to the principles of God. And as a result of that, they suppress the truth. Now, what does that mean? Um, the best way I can illustrate it for you is like this. Um, it's like the little boy who gets a puppy. And he plays with the puppy all day long. And he's excited to have the puppy. And at night... The first night, mom and dad say, okay, we're going to put the puppy in the kennel and we're going to leave him downstairs in the kennel. We don't bring him into our room at night because he needs to learn to live in the kennel. He's going to sleep in the kennel. So they put the puppy in the kennel and the little boy's so excited to have the puppy that he just wants to have him in the room. So he goes downstairs and he opens the kennel, he gets the puppy out and he sneaks back to his room. And he's playing with the puppy in his room. Well, it creates noise. Mom and dad realize what's going on. So he hears the light come on in the hallway and immediately knows he's in trouble. So he quickly takes the puppy and he puts it into his toy box and he shuts the lid and he sits down on the lid. And mom and dad walk into the room and they say, son, did you go get the puppy? No, I didn't go get the puppy. All the while, the puppy's scratching and scratching and scratching. 
All the while, the puppy's whining and barking underneath him. And the whole time, the puppy's there making this big ruckus. And everybody in the room knows the puppy is there. The little boy is saying, no, I don't know where the puppy is. No, I didn't do that. That's what suppressing the truth is. And Paul said, the ungodly man that leads to an unrighteous life suppresses the truth. Now, in the, in the church at Rome, I think they asked this question, well, what about the people who don't know any better? What about the people that have never heard? I mean, is the wrath of God going to be exercised on people that have never heard? And Paul, he, he knew you were going to ask that question, so he answers it. And he says, I want to tell you something. God has revealed himself to us through creation in such a way that if you want to know God, you can. He's there. The problem is, even though God is demonstrated through creation that he is God, he has demonstrated through creation. I mean, just, you know what God says? You don't believe in God? Just look at the world around you. Look at the precise nature of the world that we live in today. The fact that, that there is order and not chaos. Um, I mean, you, you think about this, the precise nature of creation and the order of our world. The earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It hangs unsupported in space. It spins at 1,000 miles an hour with absolute precision travels around the sun a thousand miles a minute in an orbit 580 million miles long. If it was closer to the sun, it'd burn up. If it was further away, it would freeze. The earth is tilted on its axis at just the right angle so when it spins, it creates this, the seasons that allow us to have life if it was slower or faster, we would be thrown out of orbit into the sun or away from the sun. And I could go on and on and on to describe to you the order that you and I are able to see around us by just looking, and that's just one galaxy. Do you realize there are millions of galaxies? We have a brand new telescope that is revealing things that we never knew possible. There are galaxies out there beyond this, and in every one of those galaxies, there is order. And yet we have scientists today who would say, yes, there is order. Everything you just said is right. But there was this big bang that occurred somewhere in the past. And the world came into being. And all of those things that you just described and more happened by chance. And so many scientists are sitting on the toy box. And the puppy is barking. 
and scratching. And all you got to do is look and you know. Years ago, Dr. Toller was the uh, dean of the School of Theology at Southwestern Seminary, served for a time as an interim president, dear friend. And he preached a sermon on creation or chance. And he would come to the stage and he would bring with him, he had 10 pennies in his pocket. And he would pull these 10 pennies out and on each penny there was a number, one through 10. And he would take those pennies and put them in his pocket and he would say, now I'm gonna jiggle these pennies around. Do, do you know what the odds are that I would reach into my pocket and pull out the penny that is number, number one? One in 10, right? What are the odds if I put that penny back though and mix them up again and reach my hand in my pocket and I pull out a penny this time, number two. Well, the odds are one in 100 that that would happen. Well, I'm gonna put number two penny back in my pocket and I'm gonna jiggle them around and what are the odds of me reaching in my pocket and on the third try, bringing out the penny that is numbered number three? It's one in a thousand. And if I were to do that all the way through, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, the odds of me reaching into my pocket and pulling out all those coins in that order by the time I get to number ten is one in ten billion. And then he would say, Let me give you ten things. That if it weren't this way, our world would cease to exist. It takes more faith not to believe in God than it takes to believe in God. And what you find, and what you find in the text is Paul says, hey, God has revealed himself to you. But why is it that we can't see it? I want to tell you something. A scientist who won't acknowledge that the, the world that we have came from, an in, it's an intelligent design, meaning that it must have been created by an intelligent God that won't recognize that. They don't see it for the same reason a thief doesn't see a policeman. It's because I'm not looking for him. I don't want to see him. I want to avoid him. And there are many, and you know what Paul said? You're sitting on the toy box. And God is scratching. And he says, you can know. If you want to know God, you can know God. He has revealed himself to you. He's knowable. But he said, here's the problem. The ungodly who has no room for God, the unrighteous who lives according to that principle willfully ignores God. They exchange the glory of God for a substitute. They turn away in disobedience. They pervert the truth. They begin to reason in their hearts, secondly, all the things that support the reason why there's not a puppy in the box. 
And I'll give you all kind of arguments and reasons why that's the case. After people morally rebel, they tend to rationalize in a futile attempt to justify their actions. And then finally, Paul says, and man totally replaces God altogether. And he, and he creates these idols taken after the nature of man. He worships himself. And how ridiculous are these idols? God is demonstrating. They make an idol out of a bird. God made the bird, and you're going to worship the bird? You're going to worship the thing that was created by God? And Paul said, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And what does he say? The wrath of God is exercised against that. So we deserve the wrath of God. Because we change the truth to follow our way instead of following the truth to change our ways. Our world is God-centered. He made it. He sustains it. And it reflects his glory. And when we make the world about a man-centered us, we can expect the wrath of God. Because he is holy and righteous, he takes sin seriously and he never lets us off. So what can we do? Well, there's good news. If you understand the wrath of God is kind of like being in a field. Let's just surprise, this, it, it, it's not hard to imagine with the dry conditions we've had just being in the middle of a of a field with a grass fire burning all around you. You find yourself in the middle of a field and there is fire all around you. There's only one safe place to go. And that's to a place that's already been burned. And when we suffer the wrath of God and we find ourselves under the wrath of God, there's only one safe place to go. And that's where the wrath of God has already been exercised. And that's the cross. Because on the cross, God took your wrath and mine in Jesus. And he died in your place. So that in the cross, you could receive a righteousness you're incapable of producing that he gives you as you come to him. There's only two kinds of people in the room today. Those of you that have accepted Jesus as your Savior and those that have not. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, today's your day to step into the place that's already been burned so that you don't have to experience the wrath of God. He's already faced it for us. And you can come to the cross and find forgiveness and an opportunity to begin again.
Maybe God's Holy Spirit has spoke to you today and he's simply saying to you, you're struggling with all kinds of things because you've had one of those professors who sits on the toy box who has spoken into your ear. But today, the Holy Spirit is allowing you to hear the puppy in the box scratching. And you're able to say, you know what? They made a whole lot of excuses. But God's evident everywhere. And I believe and I choose to receive him as my Savior and Lord. If you're here today and are a believer in Christ, oh my goodness, to understand the wrath that God has saved us from makes our salvation more special, more precious, and more vital that we share with others. Let's pray. As you bow your head, I'm just going to ask that we listen. And um, as this song is, is played, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. This is an old song, man. Some of you remember it. It just simply says, just as I am, just like I am, without one plea. I don't, I, 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 no excuse. I'm a sinner. I deserve God's wrath. But in that condition, God saw me, loved me, came in the person of Jesus and died so that I could have eternal life, so that I could come to him. And today he invites you to come to know him as Savior. And so today, if you've never accepted him as Savior, would you come today to receive him right now? I'm going to stand here at the front. Would love to introduce you to him. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to put you on the spot. We're not going to ask you to say anything in front of these people. But today, you can settle the issue. and Know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. And so I encourage you to make that decision right now, if you would. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.